Good morning, my friend. Dr. Lee Warren here with you in another exciting episode of Everyday Hope. I had an incredible opportunity yesterday to speak with a young man named Hayden Vrogab. Hayden is a ICU critical care and now flight nurse in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. And unbeknownst to me, back in 2019 and 2020, he was going through a hard time. I, I didn't know Hayden until recently. But Hayden was a graduate nurse, a brand new nurse, and wanted to be a critical care nurse and, and basically began his nursing career right at the start of the COVID pandemic and ended up having to be thrust into critical care nursing in an ICU setting right at the, the height of the pandemic when everything was going crazy. And if you weren't really into healthcare back then, you may not realize how the ICU nurses and, and critical care folks really dealt with the burden of that problem. People on ventilators who weren't allowed because of policy decisions to be with their families. And there was just all kinds of crazy stuff happening and all kinds of what turned out to be trauma that the caregivers faced. And now their uh, psychologists call it moral injury. There, there's decisions that had to be made. Can this person be with their family as they're dying or not? Can these married couples who are both dying be in the same room? All these things happened that created stress and injury on the caregiver side. And Hayden was a brand new young guy in the middle of all of this, and it really affected his faith. So he's going to tell his story. Unbeknownst to me, in the middle of that, he was searching for help, and he ultimately found one of my books and was reading it. He didn't know that his father, Mark Brogep, who's a pastor in the Indianapolis area, had written a book. He, he knew his dad had written a book, but he didn't know that his dad's book had landed in my life, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, which if you've been following me for a while, I thought was the best book I had read in 2021. And I did a whole bunch of posts on it, had Mark on the show twice. That book went on to win the Christian Book of the Year Award for 2020. And basically... Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy informed and influenced my thinking about grief and recovery and the story of how Mark and his wife handled the loss of their of their daughter, Sylvia, and learned how to pray through the lament psalms. And, and really, he taught me to look at lamentations, and I ended up using his work as a great inspiration in the writing of my new book, Hope is the First Dose. Well, while I was doing that, and while Mark was influencing me, his son was reading my book, I've Seen the Interview. They ended up having a conversation about how my my book had helped him, even though Hayden didn't know that Mark knew me and Mark didn't know that Hayden was reading me. It was a kind of a small world sort of thing. So recently, Mark reached out to me and said, hey, I want to tell you this cool story about my son, and I think he'd be a good guest on your podcast. And it turns out we had an amazing conversation yesterday. The internet was acting up a little bit, so there's some funny spots in the audio, but don't be too distracted by that. If you're watching the video, I'll try to get the transcript corrected eventually, but the computer-generated transcript is already up, and if you see some weird stuff in there, let me know and I'll fix it eventually, but the, the computer generates some funny words once in a while. It takes a little time to go back and correct all of that, but Hayden and I had a great conversation, such an impressive young man, and he taught a lesson about what you do when you're hurting and how do you find your feet again that really sounds a whole lot like the treatment plan and hope is the first dose. It's basically surround yourself with community, fill yourself with promises, read good things, find good mentors, get you some rehab and prehab and self-brain surgery. He did all these things intuitively because he had a good 
background of being raised well, obviously, but he had faith that didn't fail him in the darkest times, even when he felt like it might. So we had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And remember, this is a great example of when you're hurting, when you're going through something hard, you can't change your life until you change your mind. The good news is, as Lisa always tells us, you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Well, friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to introduce you to a new friend today. I've got my good friend, Mark Vrogep's son, Hayden Vrogep, is here with us today. Welcome to the show, Hayden. Awesome. I'm so glad to to be here with you and to get to talk about hope and some things that we've been through. Outstanding. How many podcasts have you been on before? This will be my first. I Number one. A, <laughs> Number I've one been podcast. podcast consumer for quite a long time, but this is my first. Awesome. Yeah. Welcome. And it's going to be fun. And I'm glad uh, to have the honor of being your first podcast. Hey, Hayden, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, currently I, I recently started a, a new job as a flight nurse. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a critical care flight nurse, but I started my career off in high school as an EMT uh, and then worked as an EMT during my nursing school years. Got the opportunity to be involved in some 911 volunteer stuff as well as some leadership with the university as the chief of EMS. But found myself after I graduated in the critical care department of a level one trauma center and then specifically stayed the longest in a, a trauma surgical ICU and then ended up making the move to, to flight nursing. So that's a that's pretty much been my career. It's been a, a quick four years. There's a lot that's happened in those four years, though. So I've learned quite a bit. And no kidding. So if you've only been doing this four years, that means you came into it around the time that COVID happened, huh? Yeah, and this is really uh, a great part of my story as a person, but especially in my career, is I graduated in 2019. And so I began my nursing career summer of 19. And then only about nine months later, was hit with a pandemic. And the, I had to step up to the plate as everybody did. And that was, it was a lot, but it was good. And like I said, I've learned a lot from that. So what, before we get to pandemic, because that was a kind of a baptism by fire for you. I was, and I'm later in my career, but you were just getting started. So before that, like what yeah. led you into nursing? What got you to do that? Yeah. I, when people ask me that question, I always say the thing that led me to nursing is not the same thing that's kept me in nursing. And that's, that's something I like to talk about a lot, just because I see a lot of people my age leaving the nursing career. And but to answer your question directly, I uh, was very interested in um, healthcare in general, and in high school took a 
D class to see if healthcare was interesting to me, which it was. So I considered many different paths, um, but ended up feeling like nursing school, the way it was structured, the ability to get a bachelor's degree and then immediately start working in a clinical environment was most attractive. Um, the shorter period of time of schooling, um, I, I'm, I'm decent at school, I enjoy learning, but um, the idea of being in grad school for 10 years before I start practicing was uh, a little daunting to me. Yeah. I ended up loving nursing and like I said, I, I just fallen in love with it and I love every aspect of the historical context for nursing, of getting to care for people, the specific focus nursing has on caring for people as well as curing. And yeah, I've, like I said, I fall in love with it. Wow. And so you get into nursing and, and you get into critical care nursing, and then you get hit with this really unprecedented uh, event that happened to all of us in 2020. What was that like on the ground as a critical care nurse for you? Yeah, I think a, a major grace that I experienced was the fact that when I started in the critical care department, I actually started in the, the step-down ICU. So I was not a full-fledged ICU nurse when I started, and but that was my goal. And I made my, my, my managers knew that was my goal. And so uh, very infrequently, I would get floated down to the ICU and um, because they had some staffing needs, and I would take very lo- low acuity critical care patients. Then when COVID hit, the main shortage we experienced in Indianapolis, it wasn't ventilators. We were close to running out of medications at one point, but what we were really short on was critical care nurses. And so everybody essentially um, took a step up in their training um, from what they were used to when it happened. And so those who were in the step-down unit basically became ICU nurses overnight. For me, that was awesome. That was my goal. And so I think part of the reason that I survived the pandemic was because of the fact that I had, that was a goal of mine and, and COVID the pandemic and, and the crisis maneuvers the hospital was taking included me getting into the place where I wanted to be in terms of my career. And as all of us were, were, we were thrust into situations we were not necessarily trained for. So I actually skipped all of the training for ICU nursing and just started doing it. And every day was on the job training, which again, I loved. I was learning so much. I was enjoying what I was learning. I had an unbelievable team to work with. Our physicians were great. Our residents were great. But the the we ha- the hospital I worked for had a, a, a long history of well-established nurses who had been there for some of them decades. And so they were great mentors, taught me a lot. And I kind of faked it till I made it. Yeah. And eventually, about a year and a half later, I they put me through official training, and which was a little unnecessary, but they had to do it. So that was my entry into it. And I think it wasn't until after the fact when I had finally had time to really process all that had gone on that I realized how stressful all of that really was and the toll that the emotional things I encountered, the difficult stories I encountered, how they me emotionally and spiritually. And so there's almost, there was almost a smokescreen protecting me where I was excited to learn and excited to make this career step, but I wasn't really spent taking the time because I don't know if I really had time to, because of all the overtime we were working to, to make ends meet in the hospital to really process what was going on. Yeah. Wow. So give us an example. One of those emotional, it was like something that really stands out about a day or a particular patient or an encounter with the family, like something that was a real challenge to you that you maybe you didn't even process until later. Give us an example of something like that. 
two things come to mind in two different categories, I should say. So I, I would love to share two different, one example from each. So the first would be patience. We were, no one had any idea what we were doing. At first it was clinically. We didn't know how to treat these patients. We ended up figuring that out later. But the one thing that really stuck around that was really difficult was the the way the hospital was handling visitation withdrawal of care visitation the the human stuff of having your family with you while you're critically ill and when i started to really think about how what all just went down during covid i didn't know what was normal because i had been a nurse nine months before the rug was pulled out of the healthcare system and we were in survival mode we weren't in let's function optimally mode looking back on it i was like i know what we, i just went through was not normal but situations like this and, and and this is a generic example but dozens of patients who who had this experience where 90 year old grandpa or grandma comes in with covid symptoms they get admitted to the icu or the floor and they're progressively getting worse there's not enough physician pulmonary critical care coverage for all these patients so they end up having medicine team cover and the palm crit team consulting but to save time they were having family members over the phone sign blanket emergency consent so we get these 90 year old patients who are already have lots of comorbidities and getting emergency consent to do whatever we needed to keep them alive and any healthcare professional who works in the in any context where there's an end of life possibility knows that there is a nuance to that stage in life. And it felt like the necessity of the emergency removed all of the nuance out of the end of life process. And so we were doing things like intubating 90 year olds who clearly are struggling and probably just want to be with their family as they pass away, yeah. but their family couldn't be there. And specifically at the hospital I worked in, we had lots of multicultural uh, patients. We often don't speak their language. So to try to coordinate, to get a family member to, for example, uh, FaceTime their loved one uh, while they're even on the ventilator, like us nurses were bearing that weight of that responsibility and in partnership with our chaplains and, and some stuff. But just the, the removal of the humanity of our patients was really what I think in hindsight is what I really realized we were missing. And then just the overwhelming quantity of patients like that is just emotionally overwhelming to have yeah. watched so many people suffer unnecessarily. And, and I want to be clear, I don't know going back that, that we really could have done anything different. I think we did the right thing, but it was hard nonetheless and, and right. um, caused a lot of the word, I don't like the word burnout. I think it's overused. The word that I've heard um, someone use before, and I personally feel like moral injury really describes well what nurses went through in my unit um, when we were experiencing these dire situations and the way that we were forced to handle them caused moral injury upon all of us. The other half of it would be the the experience as healthcare providers within the healthcare system there's again it's a nuanced conversation to be had about the covid vaccine but undeniably regardless of your point of view on it in my opinion the way that healthcare providers were required to receive it or, or threatened with termination was not appropriate at the time maybe yeah. at some point it would have but in my case and i i don't want to go into too much detail just because i do have a lot of respect for my from that hospital i worked at and i think they were working with the best that they had 
had, but our staffing was abysmal and it was even better than the other hospitals in the area. But it came to a point where we were not really gaining any more travel nurses. And so our staffing was getting worse. And that's when they decided to mandate the vaccine and they weren't respecting initially religious exemptions. They weren't respecting signed letters from primary care physicians about medical exemptions for patients who, for example, were in the middle of a high-risk pregnancy. And so just that, again, moral injury on top of not only were we experiencing this with COVID pandemic and patients, but we were experiencing that with our battle buddies. The people we fought through this whole pandemic through are now getting taken out by the fact that they, they do not feel like they can get this vaccine for a variety of reasons. That hurt. But then also we're losing our highly skilled, highly valuable critical care nurses who were the ones who were going to be next to us on the day to day getting the job done. So many layers of what was difficult, but all kind of compiling after really everything cooled down. I don't know. There was a moment when I just thought about it and it was like, that was a lot. It all happened individually, but when it came down to yeah. it after the fact, it was like, that was a lot of, that was a lot to handle at once. Wow. You're right. We're not going to solve in this podcast the, was the vaccine mandate necessary and all of that stuff. We're not going to solve that. But as two people who were on the ground in the middle of it, there was, a, I think you're exactly right. The moral injury component is a very real thing. And I saw that uh, with people that I was in the war with too. We dealt with a lot of people who were taking care of the enemy and saving somebody who was the bad guy and all these things that we were dealing with and losing people because we didn't have resources and, and all that stuff. So I, I, I feel what you're saying there. What did that do on the faith side of the equation to you? Like when you're coming out of that and you're feeling all these, it really feels a lot like post-traumatic stress disorder, doesn't it? PTSS kind of thing. But what does it do to your faith? Like how did that affect you as a person of faith? Yeah. First of all, I want to say, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but I found your book. I've seen the end of you when I was really processing all of this and quite honestly was in that kind of faith hope crisis. Um, I, I read um, Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal, yeah. cried all the way through it. <laughs> it was an amazing book, but oh my word, was basically showed me all that we were not doing right during COVID, gave me a vision for how to become a, uh, an agent for change in the healthcare industry. Then Googling books like this, yours happened to come up actually, read it, was very formative for me, really just during COVID. For many of these patients, like I explained, these 90-year-old comorbid patients, knowing what ultimately their outcome is going to be, your book really resonated. My dad ended up um, mentioning you, and I was like, I know that name. And, and he's, yeah, he's written this book called I've Seen the End of You. And I was like, I read that. That was formative. And he's, so that's how the connection ended up happening. It was quite funny. But, uh, and then, yeah, I read your, your other book, No Place to Hide. I think, is that, is that the one about your, your time in, uh, in yeah, the war? Yeah, right. And again, it, yeah, yeah, yeah it resonated deeply with me uh, with some of my experiences during the pandemic. So all of your writing ha has been very helpful. I feel seen when I read what you've written. Wow. So thank you for that. You've, you've been formative for me and it's fun to actually get to talk to you. But to answer your question, a faith crisis or even a hope crisis, I think it, it's hard to answer that because there were many things that happened. It was very complicated, I would say. I think the first thing I'll mention as my mental health, because that's tied so closely with my, my spiritual walk. But 2021, I want to say, summer of 2021, for the first time in my life, experienced suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And 
I think I've given good context for how much I actually benefited from my experience in COVID. As a clinician, the bonus and overtime pay enabled us to buy a home. But after everything chilled out, was left with this wound. And to speak as a medical uh, clinician with a chemical imbalance, and I was, yeah. I was at rock bottom emotionally. And I'm so thankful for my wife, Gracie. She walked through that with me. And I had always been someone who would have said that I have, I've had mental fortitude. And so to be caught with intrusive thoughts from the devil of suicidal ideation was difficult to understand. I would have never thought I would have encountered that. Yeah. Worked through that with my wife. She was a shoulder that I cried on. She just, she spoke words of deep encouragement to me. I remember the moment we were actually watching a movie that illustrated this topic really well and emotionally. And I was just bawling my eyes out watching this. And she was like, this is an inappropriate emotional response for what I know is going on in your life. And she was like, what's going on? So I told her what I had been experiencing. And she just, she has piercing words for me in the most important times in, in our life. And she just, I remember we were standing in the bathroom. I'm trying to clean myself up from crying. She just grabbed my arms. She looked at me and she said, Jesus cares for you even more than I do. And wow. that, oh, I melted. I just absolutely melted. And the reason that was so poignant for me was because in my darkest moment of the temptation of suicidal ideation, there was the, the lifeline I held on to for a moment was I cannot leave my wife. I could not do that to her. And that was what the Lord, I'm a healthcare clinician in, in an acute setting, and we're trained in how to recognize this kind of stuff. We're trained in the things that the chain of events that lead up to this and how to break, how to help break that chain for individuals. Yeah. So I have an intellectual knowledge of this, but then to experience it, looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm so thankful for my relationship with my wife that the Lord put her in my life in that moment for me to really cling on to as just almost a little bit of a lifeline. And then those words just meant so much to me. And in full transparency at that moment in my life, my relationship with the Lord was really coasting, struggling to get in the word, really not in prayer, a distance from the Lord. And as, as time went on and I continued to really process my degradation of my mental health, I started meeting with a mentor who was a pastor at our church and he really just was trying to guide me in spiritual disciplines and trying to help me cling to the promises of scripture. Um, and specifically that, um, Jesus, he always would say Jesus is better. Um, so shout out to Mark Skydema. He was very helpful in that time. Um, and, uh, it was an interesting time of discovery. Um, or I, I discover is not the right word of searching, I guess yeah. I would say, because I'm pursuing the Lord, not necessarily um, the weight of depression, just, and if you've never experienced depression, it's hard to, it's hard to explain it to someone, but the motivation to do anything can be just overwhelming. Yeah. The lack of motivation to do anything rather. So Ended up asking a lot of questions, questioning my faith, questioning presuppositions about so many things I've been 
taught um, since I was a child. And I thought I was having just a moral crisis. I ended up meeting with um, a former professor. I was back at my alma mater um, to talk to some students about resilience, ironically. And I had told the professor, I'm not the, I'm not the poster child for resilience. I just want to make that clear. And he was like, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about being realistic with each other. And um, I appreciated that. But while I was there, I would talk to a former professor and I was asking her about palliative care because after all my experiences, I thought I might want to go to grad school and become a palliative care um, nurse practitioner. Um, I don't feel that calling uh, anymore. But in the middle of that meeting, she stopped and she had the discernment to ask me. She doesn't know me that well, honestly. She, she stopped and she said, Hayden, how's your faith? And I was just like, I didn't want to answer her because I knew the answer. It was not good. I was on the rocks. And she was very gracious. And she did the first as a trained nurse. She assured me that I was in the proper developmental stage according to what they teach in nursing school that I am I was in my early 20s I want to say I was probably 23 and she is like asking questions about your presuppositions is an appropriate developmental happening yeah. and so she said I wanted to cur- I want to encourage you in that but then she said I can tell your faith is rocky right now and I did not want to hear that I think I was in denial to be quite honest and that conversation ended up leading into her really giving me a testimony of how, how she has become convinced of God, of the truth in his word and her relationship with the Lord. And she even asked me, she was like, Hayden, where will you go if you leave your faith? And I was like, I don't have any word. I, I cannot see myself living without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yeah. she was like, cling, hold on to that. That is a gift from God as a born again child of God that you have, that is something to hold on to. He has you in his hand. So amidst all all of the questions, all of the faith crisis you're experiencing, he is holding on to you in that fact that, that you still can't, besides all of your questions, you still cannot see yourself outside of a relationship with him. And that really started a process of healing from that moment of, I guess I would say faith healing where I, Again, was meeting with a mentor and reading scripture more diligently, working on praying more and, and really focusing on that relationship with the Lord. And, and in full transparency, like I still have so many questions. I'm not I, I don't think I can say I am healed from this whole process yet or that I'm there. Um, I'm still in the midst of that journey. Um, but I think what I learned from it most was from wise counsel. Um, specifically from fellow clinicians who understand what it's like to go through this kind of stuff. Um, Just that clinging on to fundamental truth of God and what he has done in my life as a believer, that is undeniable evidence of his work in my life and and to cling on to that, to hope for that continued work in my life. Wow. And you covered a lot of ground in that. And and everything you said, I applaud you uh, for so well articulating what you've been through, Hayden. And a couple of things I want to say. First of all, I I had the wrong story about you. When your dad said that you had read my um, book, I've seen the interview, I assumed he had given it to you. And to know that the Lord brought you to my work at the same time he was bringing me to your father's work, and then your dad connected those dots and put us together. What a cool thing, because I, we lost a son a long time ago, now 10 years ago, and 
what you said earlier, I'm not there yet. I don't know that you ever get there, but the, but the process is being on the path. And that's what I think validates our faith is that he's called us to understand that, that hope is, is out there and we can keep walking towards it. And so I love how you articulated that. And I'm grateful that this world is so small and the kingdom is so big that he's brought us together in that way. It's a better story than your dad gave him my, gave you my book. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> but secondly, you've described at, at a young age, you had the wisdom to get to where it took me to 54 years old to get to where I, I've now given in my newest book of, I give people what I call a treatment plan for getting back to their feet again. And you described all the elements of it that you didn't have to learn from me. You learned them on your own. And it was when you face a faith challenge, the first thing is to talk about it, to surround yourself with community from people who care about you and are going to give you wise counsel and won't just commiserate with you, but will actually challenge you and call you back towards mm. things that are true. And you put good things in your heart. You went looking for books. You went to prayer. You went to mentors. You did all the things trying to figure out how to get back on your feet after that big injury that you faced. And so congratulations on that. I think you did learn some things from your dad because that's exactly what he talks about in Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy is lament and, and, and calling out, crying out, telling the truth about what you're feeling. And you've done all these things beautifully. So I, I know you're going to make it. Hey, that's the thing. You're making it because you're wired right and you got the right, the kind of stuff in between your ears and in your heart. So, so congratulations. It's encouraging to me to see a young person who's been through so much, um, who's so armed for the fight because there will be additional fights in your future. Yeah. 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 I, people ask me all the time about specifically my dad's book, Deep Clouds or Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And it's interesting because for those who have read it and found it helpful, um, I'm very thankful for him writing that book. Even this past week, I've had the opportunity to share it with some people who have gone through hard things. And but what some people don't realize is that, that was an experience in all of myself losing my losing my sister to, to stillbirth, my mom stillbirthing. Yeah. And then one 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 part of the story that I haven't shared yet was in December of last year, we lost a pregnancy, and after about a year, almost a year of infertility, and so. There, it was, it's just been an, an interesting four years of culminating hardships, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, I'm so lo- sorry. Losing a pregnancy. I, I appreciate that. And it's, it's something, people handle miscarriages differently. For some people, it's fairly easy for them to move on. For me and my wife, I think because of how hard we were trying to get pregnant and then the excitement mm-hmm. of it, it really devastated us. Yeah. It really devastated us. And I'm thankful now for our little son, Everett. He's six months old and he is an absolute blessing. And we are so thankful for him. But yeah, lose, losing a child early in pregnancy and having lit, watched my parents go through losing my sister, Sylvia, because I was still fairly young. Um, but watching them over the years, faithfully mourning, faithfully grieving, lamenting, and then also caring for other people who have experienced similar things. I'm just thankful for that example in my life because you said (laughs) you were congratulating me, but to be completely honest, I feel like I've just been blessed to be placed in a position where my parents have gone through that and I learned from watching them. And I'm thankful for that. And also thankful for material like you've written. I feel like, especially your newest book, I haven't finished it in full disclosure, but I'm listening to it right now. Uh, but it is just so much in that vein of of the similar to what my dad has written and, and how do you find hope in those hard 
devastating things. And something my dad says is there's one thing guaranteed is that you will encounter hard things. And so to, to not prepare is, is to prepare to fail, um, right. or fail, fail to prepare, uh, is to prepare to fail. I'm yeah. thankful that I've, I've gotten to learn these lessons from my parents. And now I'm at the stage in life, hence this great opportunity to talk with you where hopefully I get to minister to other people through what I've been through. And, and that's one of my new passions is helping young clinicians process what they encounter because it's. It's not often that you have coworkers who you're willing to process that with, or even have a family member in the healthcare industry who can understand what you're going with, going through. And one of my goals is to find young clinicians and be that uh, voice in their life who's been through something hard, who can understand what they're going through. I've told my wife before too, explaining why something was hard in a healthcare context, whether you lost a patient or you coded them for however long, or it was a child that died, something like that is having to explain a joke. It's therapeutic to share your experience, but if you have to explain all the details of why it was hard, it's yeah. just work at that point and it's not helpful. Right. And so having a clinician, a fellow clinician and believer to talk to about those things is I think imperative. I, I don't think there's any, there, there are a few things that are more helpful to process those events. Well, that's it. That's very well said. I think that's why hospital chaplains are so valuable to all of us as they're right there in the fight with us. You said you're excited about learning, being able to share your experiences with others. And today's the day you're going to be heard in last week, 122 countries, uh, people all over the world going to hear this. So give us just a short word for the person who's just now in the thick of it or just now realizing how bad their massive thing was and what they've gone through. So what's next? What should somebody do tomorrow from your perspective when they're hurting really from this kind of reeling from this injury that they've suffered? I was recently on the phone with one of my best friends. His name's Campbell. And he had some some hard words for me and quite honestly was calling out some stuff that he was seeing in my life. And one of them was, he was just reminding me that as a believer, um, to not be um, in the word, in prayer, um, in communion, um, or I guess as the Bible says, to be walking in the spirit is to be withering. So, it, it, so all that being said, I'm learning this myself, and it's something that I I can see just periods in my life um, where I've done this well and done it poorly. And um, but to go to Scripture and pursue your relationship with the Lord through Scripture, because that's how He speaks to us, and that will create communion with Him. And that that is really the one of the most important things is to to walk in the Spirit. And, and I say that from my experience, just watching the close connection between my spiritual health and my mental health, they're unmistakably tied together. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that would probably be the one thing. But then, and we've touched on this, but I have been so helped by mentors in my life. And I've had few of them, but the ones I have had have been monumental. You know, my, my father was my first mentor, and I've had some in college were super helpful, but you need to have wise older people who have gone through hard life events and have had experience through that to walk through those events with you. Yeah. So th that's what I would say. Focus on your spiritual disciplines and there is a safety hold in that, um, in, in spiritual disciplines that will keep you grounded, but then have someone to talk to that understands you or, 
over a period of time can get to understand you and then hopefully can share some wisdom with you. Uh, to me, those two things are probably are, are what are most helpful uh, for me um, when I have encountered those big major events in life. Wow. Amen. I got to tell you, this is your first podcast. The future is bright, my friend. You handle yourself well. <laughs> you're very um, thoughtful about what you've been through, and uh, people are going to be blessed by it, Hayden. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today, and uh, just grateful for you. Before we go, would you mind just saying a prayer for us and for the listener out there who's hurting right now? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, thank you for your example of being the great physician. Thank you for your example of associating with the lowly, the sick, the sinner, and setting that example for us as human beings, but specifically as healthcare providers. Lord, help us to emulate that. Lord, I pray for the person who's listening that is hurting. Lord, I pray that this conversation was helpful. I pray that my testimony was helpful. Lord, I pray that you would touch them in a certain way. Lord, that you would encourage them through this to read your scripture. It's living and active. And Lord, I just pray that you would draw them closer to you through this conversation. And for whatever they're going through, whether it's an experience similar to mine with difficulties in healthcare or even mental illness uh, and the pursuit of mental health through a relationship with you, Lord, I just pray that you would touch their heart. Lord, I pray that the spirit would move within the people who are hurting, even though we feel like we are just absolutely dead and stagnant when we're in pain and when we're struggling, Lord, I pray that you would move in them and give them life and hope. And thank you for all of these gifts, hope, mental health, spiritual intimacy with you. Thank you for all of those gifts and I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hayden Vrogap, thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure to meet you, my friend. Likewise, it's fun to get to interact with an author who's been influential in my life. So I'm thankful for my dad Great. connecting us and, and thankful for this conversation. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.